welcome back to Fitter Talk. This is your host, Curtis Oldie, and once again, we're doing break time with my buddy Craig here. Craig, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Monday night, uh, you got codes again. We're wrapping up uh, or winding down our, I guess we're calling a trimester. Is that what we decided? Yes. I guess I'm on a trimester. You're. Uh, I'm on a semester. You're on a semester. So what, what's going on in codes tonight? Tonight, um, they had their option. I think some of them are lagging behind on Blackboard, so they can either work on Blackboard or they can work on an old practice test from 2006 for codes. And most of them have elected to try to get caught up on Blackboard. I think they're not doing their weekly assignments as they're ah. supposed to. Yeah. And I don't monitor it, and I tell them it's up to you guys. If you don't know this stuff, you're going to have trouble passing the test. So... We'll see. When are these guys scheduled to uh, take their big test? Last week of school. Last week of school. Yeah, December 18th, something like that. Okay. So they got a month to go. All right. Well, my guys are going over hydronics tonight. We looked at some uh, start and test balance, for lack of better words, and uh, some piping equivalents and a lot of good fun stuff. I know they can't wait to get back in. I think we're going to go to the shop because they're uh, a little tired with dealing with that. So, <laughs> I understand. Have you asked any of those guys if they know how to size an expansion tank yet? I have not. Okay. Interesting. I think we did talk about it maybe the first night. I think we were talking about before that uh, we're kind of uh, using our book as a guideline. So we've kind of gotten off topic here a little bit. But I might bring... Uh, Dave Young in, and when we do our little practical test next week, you can, uh, so if anybody's listening to this, that might be one of the, the test subjects to take a look at. There you go. So, uh, how's, how's things going with our sourdough? Our sourdough is doing good. I made some sourdough banana nut bread over the weekend and uh, cooked it in wife's bump pan, and it came out really good. So you made some more? Yeah. You shared some banana nut bread last week yeah i've been making about every other week anymore okay um, boy, my, the way my waistline is starting to swell i probably ought to quit eating it but it uh yeah what uh you got any other brands or uh types you're going to be making here in the near future yeah actually probably here in the next week or so i'm going to make some sourdough olive bread okay it's got black olives green olives and kalamata olives if you like olives, it's good stuff. Yeah, I, I like a little bit of olive, but not a lot. So, so yeah. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, something I, I forgot to do was share our uh, last episode on the, the Book of Faces, Facebook. And so uh, I'll have to make a point this uh, week to get it on there because we need to get some input on everybody on, on some names for your sourdough. There you go. I mean, what'd you say? It's now three and a half years old. It probably yeah. deserves a name. Yeah. Yeah, I told my wife you were going to work up names for it, so we'll see. Yeah, so uh, anybody listening, get on uh, Facebook. We'll uh, you know respond there and come up with some names for Craig's uh, sourdough. There you go. How, how big of a, a bowl or dish is that sourdough uh, starter in? That's probably in a half-gallon jar. Okay. And uh, when I feed it, that thing's probably about an inch and a half, two inches tall. And when I feed it, 
by the end of the, within about 10, 12 hours, it'll be to the top. I've actually overfed it before and had it push the lid off and kind of spewed out of the jar. So, yeah, but it's in a half gallon jar is what I would guess it is. Okay. So, and like for the sourdough, I or the banana nut bread, it only uses a half a cup of sourdough starter, but it's got a lot of air in it, so when you pour it, it really shrinks back down again. So. Okay. So when you feed it, it expands, and then um, is, it, is it building air and gas, and then it just yes. sinks back down? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty much how it works. You have to be careful how much uh, starter you take from your... Not really. You can... I've, I've heard of people leaving. I usually leave about an inch in the jar, where I've heard people take it down quite a ways, and just depends on how much you want and how much you want to feed it. So. Okay. Well, very good. Well, our episode this week is going to be on, uh, you want to be a pipe fitter. Cool. Had the opportunity to sit down with our assistant coordinator, uh, Pete Smith. Uh-huh. And uh, he talks about more on the construction side. You know, if somebody wants to get into uh, the pipe fitting side on the construction side, or let's say we've got somebody already uh, in the trade and they want to, you know, switch over to construction. Uh, Pete spent a lot of time working on the industrial side, we'll call it, uh, powerhouse type work. So we kind of start with that and then go over some of the different piping things. But one of the things that we didn't talk a lot about, and maybe uh, you can give us some of your advice. What advice would you give somebody wanting to get into the, the pipe feeding or join Pipe Fitters Local 533 and, and get on the service side? What are some things that uh, you think they should probably like better it's had their ducks in a row when they sign up to, to get in I've had calls for years from members member or their nephew grandson whatever what I tell these guys especially if they're right out of high school go to the Johns County Community College go to Joe Hernan get some technical even a community college get some technical HVAC under your belt so you have an understanding of what what this the equipment is, what, how this stuff operates. And if nothing else, if you can go to work for a residential or a non-union outfit doing light commercial, get some experience. I think I know when I would go out looking to interview for apprentices, those are the things I'm looking for, somebody that's got some experience and some understanding of the theory. I think it helps a long way for contractors looking to hire somebody. Of all the things that a service guy is going to get into, what's the biggest thing you see um, from uh, as an instructor looking at apprentices coming through or um, apprentices slash journeyman on the job site struggle with? I would say, from my experience, it could be several things. One of the first things that comes to mind is electrical. Yep. I think electrical. And I was told when I got in the trade back in the 70s, and I don't know if it's true today, but I think it is that probably, I think I was told 60 to 70% of the time it's an electrical issue. I would agree with that. Um, so I think a lot of the guys, if they have no experience at it, electrical, troubleshooting and reading electrical wiring diagrams. Um, and uh, to a certain degree, customer, how to talk to a customer. Okay. Um, so some soft skills. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because um, just a lot of these guys, you know, we train our guys down here. I think we do a good job training these guys 
the technical side of it. Your experience is more on the job side. Yep. But I don't know that, and I don't know it's our place, but I don't know that we really do a good job of training customer interaction, if you will. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. First, I'll agree with you on the electrical, because I'll tell guys every bit of 70, if not 80% of what we're going to run into is electrical troubleshooting and understand circuits. Uh, one of the things I, I knew through guys off before was uh, two like 230 volt uh, control circuits. Uh, I got 115 volts on it, must be good. Yep. Uh, things like that. And then you bring up soft skills and I can't remember what episode it was, but when I interviewed Nick Bell up at uh, Omaha 464, he did mention that he had a, a soft skills class. And I know at one time, I don't know if it was uh, day school or before then, but I know we did some soft skills things that we use from the uh, HVAC excellence with ESCO. So, um, but yeah, I think there's, that's, I, I've seen guys who maybe not have been as technical, but they do just how to handle a customer and keep that customer, uh, for lack of better words, in their pocket. And uh, um, especially when we show up on the job site, it's kind of like we talk about the peer support thing. And uh, sometimes it's uh, just slowing down a little bit and uh, taking that customer's point in consideration. But uh, between talking with a customer and also being able to fill out a service ticket and write. Yeah, and that's one of the other issues why you you mentioned that, and I think that's probably going to the wayside. One of my biggest issues with guys was their legibility on the service tickets. I think a lot of these shops anymore probably use some kind of a handheld yep. computer, so that's billed automatically, but I know we used to struggle trying to read guys' service tickets, and if it's like, if well, I can't read it, we can't bill it. The, the other part of that is we transitioned to more electronic stuff, I think the biggest thing we run into with that is having guys that are um, tech savvy, for example, or Mike Miller was in there earlier. We're talking about his nodes and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that you know I, I see when you bring guys in, if they don't understand some of the basic uh, ways computers work, whether we got a tablet and we're filling out that work ticket, um, or we got a, a computer and we're doing a report or something like that and we got to fill out a, whether it's a Word document, understanding some of those basic computer skills. And some of the younger guys got it figured out, uh, but I know a lot of guys, uh, I was fortunate to take typing going up and I'd say it probably helps me out a lot being uh, when I go in the office and put stuff together. But um, understanding how to put together an email and do different things like that uh, and follow up with customers and I think all that ties together. No, I agree, I agree. And it's funny you mentioned that, the electrical. I remember one of the biggest problems as a young journeyman I had out on a service call was it was an old part of Kansas City. They had the neutral B phase. Yep. And if anybody's never been around that stuff, you're lucky because that can make you pull your hair out because you only have two hot legs instead of three, but it's still a three-phase power. And that can drive a guy crazy if he's never been around it. Yeah, there's a lot of weird powers uh, out there. And, and since you brought that up, I'll bring up a little story. I was up north to Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, just south of the Blair there where they had the nuke plant. And there was a plant up there I was working on. They had turbo cores. They kept burning compressors up. They couldn't figure out. And they've had factory guys out trying to figure out what was going on. And I go, the one thing we tell everybody, you know, you check face to face, face to ground. And face to face, everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. Face to ground, it was all over the place. 
asked them what they had for a power supply and it was an ungrounded delta power supply which I'd never seen anything like that. They said occasionally people walking through some of the the plant there if they touched one piece of equipment at the right time they'd get shocked because they didn't have a ground oh, for the no. entire building and uh, we actually had to put a dedicated ground rod right through the floor right there they put an isolation <laughs> transformer in and that that fixed everything but I don't know how many of those turbo core compressors they burned up because oh, it did not have dedicated ground but we run the same thing with drives and everything else sure. if we don't have a ground um, we'll we'll create all kinds of issues so anything electronic electrical and and little things like that uh, we didn't York OptiView uh, Opti drive retrofit and it was the exact same thing a lot of little intermittent issues when we found out that once we hooked a dedicated ground in from point A to point B everything mm -hmm. went away and we've had the same problem years ago well five six years ago we put in a uh, lock and bar boiler in a residential had all kinds of nuisance trips with it. Nuisance trips. Come to find out that service wasn't grounded. Went out and put a ground rod in it or grounded the service, problems went away. Yep. So it's amazing what that'll do. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap up for this episode of uh, Break Time. Okay. Hopefully everybody enjoys this episode with Pete Smith talking about so you want to be a pipe fitter. And hopefully, uh, I'll give you a little teaser for the next one. I don't know if I have my buddy Craig here for the next one. Um, but I think we're going to have a special guest uh, for the next podcast. So stay tuned for that one coming up here in two weeks. So with that, this is your host for Fitter Talk, Curtis Oldie. Well, welcome back to Fitter Talk. This is your host, Curtis Oldie. In today's episode, we are going to uh, do a little segment called So You Want to Be a Pipe Fitter. And helping me out with this episode, I've got none other than Peter Smith, uh, coordinator here at the Training Center. And Pete, thanks for uh, taking the time to jump on the podcast. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. Well, good deal. Well, before we kind of get into uh, our episode, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Uh, you know, there's listeners from other locals as well as uh, maybe some in the local that may uh, not know you and, and with you now being one of the coordinators here uh, know a little more about yourself. Um, got in in 99 so times then was a little different on how uh, you did your application so uh, turned out in 04 and 07 I got into power plants and pretty much strictly did power plants from 07 to this year and now I'm the assistant coordinator slash welding coordinator or a local. But uh, yeah, I'm really loving this being a lot more involved in the training center though. Yeah. Really well, you, loving this. Before you uh, became a coordinator though, you were an instructor for several years, right? 12 years of uh, teaching welding. So that, that was a lot of fun. Plus I got to go to ITP and then a lot of uh, ASME stuff. I got to learn from ITP, so that came in handy <coughs> working over there at Interfab. Yep, so. and that's one of the things we're going to kind of talk about in this episode is some of the things that guys are going to run into when they get in this trade because it is so diverse, and we'll kind of go through some of those things. And um, since you were talking, you know, powerhouse type work, what kind of things would somebody need to uh, – be prepared for if that's what they're going to go into. Because essentially when somebody puts an application in, which we're going to wrap up 
with doing the application, but when somebody puts that application in, they can get a call from anybody uh, for the most part to go work in pretty much anything. So maybe let's just start with the powerhouse type work and what kind of things go on in a powerhouse that guys need to be prepared for if that's something they're going to be getting into. Or if we've got some journeymen that are, uh, say, been doing on the HVAC side and doing a lot of carbon steel, what kind of things would they run into if they want to get into a uh, powerhouse? Because I hear lots of stories. There's a lot of stories, that's for sure. Um, things have changed and evolved, power plants. Uh, used to be the powerhouse shuffle is what everybody would talk about. And <clears throat> now these uh, companies are wanting things done faster and they want bids on everything. And uh, so you, you're limited on your time. Plus they like throwing more work at you towards the end of outages. and you're in a time crunch sometimes. So as as a hand, you don't see that as much, but as foreman's on up, you do see that. So it's it's not hurry up and wait anymore. It's, we gotta get this done so we can get to the next project. Yep. So um, when I first started in the power plants, it was kind of slow, you know, cause hey, we'll give an overall budget. We'll try to stay within this budget of how much work they give you. So sometimes you were waiting, and as I, years went by, it wasn't like that anymore. Now, what kind of work would, would guys run into when, when they do that? I mean, we're talking big pipe, typically, would you say, um, and, and, and high temp pipe, and that's where we see our chromes and stuff like that. Does that sound right? Yes, and no. Mostly all your smaller jobs, and you plan it out. So <clears throat> most of it's small bore. Majority of it's small bore, which is socket weld, a lot of it's socket welds, and uh, high pressure, high pressure piping. So you still have to do it correctly, you know. But you did touch into heavy wall welding, but you don't see it as much anymore. Not like it was before. So now that they're making better quality uh, pipe and everything, the longevity, and they test it all the time, you don't really have to touch it as much, but there is times where you do. But majority of it's small bore. And so what kind of pipe or material is that? Is, is it, it can, more than just carbon steel or is it a yeah, lot of Yeah, you can steel? get up from carbon steel to your chromes, one and a quarter, two and a quarter, up to nine chrome, depending on which plant you're at. So majority of it is uh, probably two and a quarter, one and a quarter chrome. And what what is it about the chrome that makes it better suited for that type of uh, application versus just regular carbon steel pressure pressure and temperature so you know your chromes can withstand higher pressure and temperature than it can on carbon especially on temperature wise so depending on what the system's calling for whether it's drains or um, high pressure steam coming off of the main steam you know going to the condenser what have you it just uh all depends on the system you're working on okay so. and what about the uh the process of putting those systems together because it, it, it all works the system together what what about the processes about uh in a powerhouse in putting that type of pipe together is it compared to say if we're going to do a chill water loop or a condenser water loop for a building um it all depends on what it's being ran for. So 
you know, your main steam, pretty self-explanatory. It's your main steam of the mm -hmm. whole boiler, and then you got your uh, hot reheat, and then you got your uh, your other. Can't think of the word now. All of a sudden, um, you a lot of condensate pipe too. Yeah, there's condensate. There's a lot of that too, but mostly, I mean. It seems like lately or towards the end here, we kept messing around more off of main steam and main steam valves and vent lines. So all those valves off the vents seem to go bad quicker because units trip and how yep. they run units now, it's a little bit different. They cycle on and off more. Wasn't like that before. Um, so valves tend to go bad. So a lot of that is... Uh, mostly socket weld for the most part for your small bore and so but when you're putting those whether it's the the socket weld valves or some of those um different pieces together is there anything special about the welding are you guys doing some heli arc is there tig welding what what processes um if somebody's going to go on or that they probably need to be coming down here to see you the training center to make sure that or if we have an apprentice that's something they want to come in and they want to do that they maybe um, put some extra time in to learn some different type of weld processes or so forth. Yeah, typically <clears throat> on your butt weld piping, I mean, they're wanting to go towards that RMD and flux score. And, and that's new to Kansas City, not new to the United States. So, because um, it's faster, you can knock out welds twice as fast as you can doing the old typical TIG and stick. And then on your on your small bore piping, which is usually two inches and below for, for a good example, is uh, usually socket weld. But you have, still have to follow by code. Everything's by code, so through ASME. And we typically, fitters work under B311, so we have to, and the code is minimum. So the engineers for whoever the power plant is, they like to give you these paperwork and how they would like it to see it done. And, and you have to follow, and it usually follows some type of code. And you just have to make sure you follow that, especially for NDE, yeah. non-destructive examination. So um, typically for here, welding wise, we do, it's a lot of stick welding. We do a lot of stick welding. Okay. And then there is some TIG, especially now that uh, city water lines uh, in a power plant. Mostly it's all stainless now. Didn't used to be, and they kept running into problems where their pipe was deteriorating yeah. from the inside out. So now they're, they're going to stainless, it's all TIG weld. So that's kind of nice too, get to see some stainless every now and then. Before we get to stainless and processes for that, Go back to the flux core. For anybody that doesn't understand what a flux core is, maybe explain um, what flux core welding is. It's a type of MIG welding with wire out of you know machines now, and they've come a long ways too. Mm -hmm. Used to be there were these big old huge machines that were not couldn't take in the field. Well, now they've condensed that down for little suitcases that have wheels and wire that you can put in there and take it with you on top of the scaffold. So, and the and the wires got the flux or and, and what what maybe uh, break that down? What why do they use flux? Well, it's it's more of your gas that's that's involved with that. So, 
you're whether you're using a mixed gas or it's an argon or or what have you but mostly it's a mixed gas and that's where you're that's where you can get into a little bit of money because you have to have gas <laughs> so um I don't know. We just need to. Well, and, and the purpose of that gas or the flux to go around there is to basically protect that protect weld and that keep weld. the impurities out. Correct. While we're going through that, because like I said, I I, I uh, grew up running, you know, whether you want to call it a squirt gun or whatever mm -hmm. uh, wire and and you didn't need shielding gas. And well, and, and a lot of what we did was, uh, you know, and I I don't know why we did it then, but we ran mixed gas with argon and then. I moved up here and then uh, we started running all CO2 on stuff. They're like, you don't need all that other stuff. And I was like, well, that's just what we were told. So, You're right. And there's self shielding uh, wire too, where you don't need that. Yeah. So it just all depends on what you're using it for. So th that's one process when we're dealing with the steel and the chrome. Um, the other thing about, do we have to do anything as far as prepping that as um, steel? Do we need to do any preheat or anything like that and what's involved yes. with that? It, it depends on the thickness of what you're welding. And it goes off the thickness. And again, that refers back to the code. So if you have a little bit of knowledge and you know you're welding something that's, you know, over three quarters of an inch thick, you're probably going to have to have some type of preheat and most likely have some type of post-weld heat treat. And what does, what does that do? To the weld while you're putting it together and and for the integrity of the weld well <clears throat> for the integrity of the weld um, preheating wise definitely helps you install that metal a lot better than it would be if it was cold or at 50 degrees so carbon steel is normally at 50 degrees so um, as far as installing that plus you don't lose the integrity of the pipe itself. Mm -hmm. So, and then the reason why you post well heat treat is to stress relieve what that metal you put in there. Yeah. So it, it all, it, it keeps the integrity of the pipe. Yeah, I think one of the things is also is, I just know from stuff I've done, if it was really cold out, we'd run a torch across it because yeah. um, you, you start undercutting and you can't put enough heat on it and, and anyway, it ends up being bad welds and because again, you're talking stuff three quarters of an inch thick or even thicker, so. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, let's go into stainless. What, what kind of stainless uh, pipe they run and, and what process they need to be aware about that? Um, I've seen some regular stainless. I've seen some Carpenter 20 depending on where, depending on the power plant you're at and then Alloy 20, which pretty much that and then um, those are different little bit of animal animals too as far as your carpenter 20 um, on how you the maximum interpass heat is you're limited on depending on what uh, your weld procedure calls for and then how big your pipe is too so um, maximum interpass say when you start welding that pipe heats up and so when you're putting that pass on, they don't want you to go over a certain amount of degrees. Otherwise it ruins the integrity of the yeah. pipe. So you have to keep an eye on that. But it's a different animal. It takes longer. What's, what's, what process are we using to that? Are we, we TIG, heli welding. TIG, welding? TIG welding? Okay. Yep. And what, what defines something as being a, a TIG weld? Uh, with tungsten and argon and yeah. 
I mean, it's a whole different than stick welding. So you got two different, there's two different processes. Yep. So um, with your tungsten, your argon, same machine, which is good. You just reverse your polarity and then. Uh, but you something, is it a TIG torch you use? And then yeah. you feed your, hand feed your wire yep. in? And you have bare wire. So your bare wire is totally different than it has no flux on it, right? Okay. So um, you're basically melting that wire into the pipe and how it goes in there. So a lot of things you gotta look forward to in that. Yeah, and one of the things I hear a lot on, maybe it's more powerhouse than other jobs, is x-rays and stuff like that, or, or checking. What what kind of things that would you typically see on, on say, a powerhouse type job? Um, Do they x-ray every well? Do they x-ray part of the valves? Or, or maybe they're not doing that as much anymore? Uh, you try to, well, you try to want to x-ray, but with x-ray you have to shut down like several floors because of of uh, the safety of everybody, yeah. radiation. So um, they've been going to a different style of NDE and phase array is the equivalent to x-ray so you see a lot of phase array now which is a different type of nde is and people and that's all due on do unto interpretation so you they think they see something in there they'll mark it and you start grinding in there hate to say but sometimes you see it and sometimes you don't yeah but as far as that goes uh they're kind of leading away from x-ray and going more towards phase array Okay. And then on all your socket welds, they're going to MT, which is MAC particle testing. Okay. So it's a lot of that as far as your uh, socket welds go. So And then basically all your testing with MAC particle is, is there a crack on the surface? That's all it can see. So we like that because uh, it's very easy to pass. Yeah. Is there any other processes or welding processes you might be using on a powerhouse type job? That's pretty much the main ones. I okay. mean, it's mostly stick for the most part. And then you get in your TIG welding depending on what uh, system you're working on. And then your heavy wall pipe, of course. You're either okay. going to be TIG and stick or you're going to go to that RMD and flux core. Okay. And we'll talk about a little more on, on stick here as we go through this. What, what makes... Um, powerhouse work unique is it shutdowns uh, the amount of hours guys typically have to work because they're doing those shutdowns or what what makes it maybe a little there's two unique in, in my my opinion I think there's two different types so if you're on a regular maintenance crew you're on call 24 7 no matter what if that unit comes down and they need that unit back up and running they're gonna call you at Saturday in the middle of the afternoon or at night, you know. Usually they're pretty good, they'd be here in the morning or what have yeah. you, let the unit cool off or what have, but. <clears throat> Typically what we also run in on the service side. Correct, and so with that aspect, it's like you live there, it's your second home. Yeah. You're constantly there. So with regular maintenance, I mean, you can get sick of it, but you, yeah. can, you get to touch different aspects of everything on that boiler as to an outage, you come in, you hire, you know, 50 to 60 guys, 25 guys, what have you. They may only see 
one eighth of what that of our piping systems in there because you're trying to replace pipe replace valves so they don't get the whole full aspect of what's actually in there but um that's why i think there's two different types i mean yeah outages is different yep your regular maintenance guys they see everything touch everything so what's a what's a typical outage um as far as hours a day guy might be working and um it used to be, man, it used to be you try to work seven days a week on an outage, whether it was a 30-day outage or a 90-day outage or a 65-day outage. But now that <coughs> costs have gone up, they try to limit you to mostly 610s, you know. So that's where I've seen it go towards 610s, 510s, something like that. But before that, it was more like 712s? 712s. Yes. Okay. Which you can get pretty tired pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first two weeks is great. Everybody loves it. And then uh, here comes Honeymoon's the tiredness. Over. And yes, and grumpiness starts coming into play. But Okay. Well, we've kind of knocked out what we're going to see on a powerhouse. What are some other weld processes uh, or processes guys, piping guys might see um, in other parts of the trade that we go through here for training? Maybe well, we can start up in the north. North end of the building, what you got up there? Oh, with the orbital? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, starting to come more and more popular, it seems like. Um, and, and I think it goes in waves, to be honest. Um, I know when I first got in, it was all about orbital, you know. But it depended on where I was working. I was working at Pfizer when I was an apprentice for a while. So everything there was, a lot of it was orbital. So it was cool to see that part. But I think it goes up and down as far yeah. as what where you're at and what you're doing but for somebody that doesn't know what orbital is maybe kind of give a quick synopsis of what what an orbital machine is and what what materials we use when we're orbital welding well you're welding mostly not i say 90 percent of the time you're welding on stainless for these orbital machines they do the welding you don't um, a lot of people say you push buttons but that's there's a lot more to it than just that a lot more i mean Basically, you have to start off with a formula which deals with math, and that's your starting point. And then once you figure out that starting point, then you can start punching in, doing practice welds, and, and oh, it didn't fuse well off enough here, so I need to add more here. So um, once you get it dialed in, then you can start making several welds. And then if you move your machine, that's what's even crazier. If you move your machine a hundred some feet away and you plug in a different outlet, you have to start from zero again. Yep. Because it's not always the exact same amount of amps coming over to you. So, or volts, should I say. Now what kind of uh, uh, facilities, we'll call it, we typically are gonna see using Orbital? Let's see. In my experience, it was more clean rooms um, clean rooms being specifically, um, pharmaceutical and stuff like yes, that. I would say yes. A and your places that make pills or what yeah. have you, pharmaceuticals, um, food grade stuff. You can see it on every now and then a lot of food grade, but, um, a lot of food grade have hand welded too. So I don't, yeah. <laughs> but, um, mostly that, I mean, I didn't really touch on it very much when I went through, um, once I learned how to weld, they, it was mostly welding, stick welding, so I never got to see that 
yeah. part of it too much. So, um, I know Panasonic with this big project coming up, there's going to be quite a bit of orbital out there, I hear. So I think a lot of people are trying to get involved in that and getting their certifications. I see a lot of continuities coming through to keeping that up too. So, What's, what's the reason for uh, using orbital versus just heliarch in it? Because it's machine made, technically, and, and you can almost have a perfect weld once you get it dialed in. And, and it's really hard to do that manually every time consistently. Yeah. It's the consistency of it. So um, you can guarantee that weld uh, through the machine, through the orbital machine, and uh, through the head. So, which is neat too, because there's different size heads for different size pipe. Um, it is more expensive, but it it's consistently good. Yeah. So. No, and I think that's one of the things, and I think, I think, you have a, a better control of your, your finished product, but the other thing is is systems that that's going in, we're looking at a smooth weld all the way, all fused the way all the way through on the inside. So no that, discoloration either. Um, no discoloration, but we don't want anything catch taking it. a chance, catch it in and, uh, you know, being left behind for lack of better words, so. True, yes, and then, I mean, there's more to it than. Yeah. I mean, they have facing tools and all that stuff to get that perfect perfect lineup so. how thin of uh, material do they typically uh can you do with orbital um that i don't know for 100 percent sure i'm sure you can do it pretty thin uh, it's all in your settings too and, and like i said you have to do that math and that formula yeah i mean uh the newer machines are kind of helping you dumbify that but in the end you still have to do a little bit of math to figure that out so, okay uh, i would say it's pretty thin but I think we practice on Schedule 10 a lot. Okay. So, and I'm sure it'll do five. Um, what other uh, weld process or piping processes do we uh, see out in the fields? Out in the fields? Field. Yeah, that's a hard question since I've been doing power plants since most of my career. But um, small and, and commercial, we saw a lot of carbon, which was, yeah. you know, we used red rod all the way out, 6010, every time. You hardly ever saw 7018, which I still hear that today. So, yeah, we never touch a 7018 unless I come to the training center. But put uh, a nice, pretty cap on it. Pretty, you know, yeah, you can get good at it. Um, otherwise, you know, Victolic's starting to come in too for chill water. You see a lot of Victolic, yeah. you know, which I hate, but uh, at the same time, I understand it. Yeah, why, depending why? On, on when this drops out, we're going to do an interview with uh, Victolic. But that's, that's a, I mean, there's a lot of piping processes out there that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if we don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. So making sure that if we are going to do it, we, we do it right and oh, we want yeah. to walk away knowing that that's going to be safe. And then, you know, one of the things when I talk with the Victolic guy about will will be, uh, you know, we, we've had... Victolic has killed some people, so uh, not Victolic itself, but not uh, handling it properly, venting and, and pressure checking is one of the things we'll run into on that. So yeah, because a lot of people air test still. I hate that's probably one of the most dangerous ways to test your system. Yeah, I understand it. It's, it's easier to do, but if you're not taking the proper way of venting everything and releasing that pressure, yeah, it can be pretty dangerous. Yeah. 
No, we may, like I said, I may uh, do an interview with uh, Tracy because he does that pressure testing for OSHA 30 and uh, it's pretty important. Like I said, we had lost an apprentice several years ago to pressure testing um, and it was a pretty bad deal and, and it's happened across the country where people have gotten killed or hurt pretty bad uh, yeah. from that. I mean, even when you put water in there, you want to get it to a certain um, temp or uh, not temperature, but a certain pressure. You know, you're going to add a little air to that. You know, so it still makes it dangerous. Yeah. What other piping processes are out there that somebody may run into in the trade? Mm. Have you done any uh, HDPE? Very little of it. Um, I know, like Vaughn Mechanical does that quite a bit underground. Um, I heard they were doing some ash lines maybe at some powerhouses with uh, HDP. Is that sound right? I, I don't know. I once said some of that was like 36 inch or something like that. Could be. I, I know out there at ITAN they've done a lot of that HDP um, piping. So I don't know too much about it. I've done it a couple times just here and there um, replacing a section. But uh, it's interesting uh, how you fuse that together and how it yeah. fuses and how strong that actually is. Um, but I know if you don't cover it correctly, you'll have some issues, you know? So um, you have that and then, um, I think it depends on the contractor who uses that more. I think the plumbers use it quite a bit too. So um, that HDPE pipe, mm -hmm. but I hey, rarely came across it. Like I said, I think there's some, some, some places they'll use it. The other thing that we ran into, uh, um, and it seems like we go through cycles or trends where whether it's a, an engineer buys into it, the customer sees that they want it, um, contractor, whoever it is. So like, I think when we were seeing some of the stuff on HDPE, we were seeing some stuff on Aquatherm. Did you ever work around any of that? Mm -hmm. The Aquatherm was the, it's, it's kind of like an HDPE, but it's uh, fiberglass reinforced. Um, they had green and blue, and you could use it for hot water, or uh, not hot water, but you could use it for your condenser water, chill water, oh, wow. uh, stuff like that. And that was kind of a trend. Uh, there were some jobs I remember coming up with that. And the same way when they did the Honeywell plant down here, there was some special metric aluminum piping that they ran. Um, so there's always weird stuff that comes out that yeah. somebody's wanting to try out and, and, and do. so. There is fiberglass piping. Now, we have come across that. Yeah, There's and then fiberglass. Different types of that, too. Yeah. That was some nasty stuff. Um, the kind I got to deal with was uh, you had to bevel the end, and then you mixed all this epoxy stuff together. and Make you, sure it got hot. Your hands were hurting after a while for mixing it all up, and then you smooth it out on there, and you put your fitting onto the pipe, and then you have to put these heat pads on it. You know, and that tells you for what size it is. Here's how long you have to keep the heat pad on. And it was roughly close. And it depends on what your outdoor temperature is yeah. or inside temperature is. So. It seemed like early 2000s, I was on some jobs where we did a lot of fiberglass um, or fiber cast. And then you never saw it again. Yeah, well, yeah. You still see it. Or at least we did. I'll never forget. Me and Andy Chambers were out at Sibley. And it was, I think, five degrees outside. And we're trying to put all this fiberglass together. Well, I think we had to leave the heater, the heating pads on it overnight, just to get it to to cure. Yeah. Came in the next next morning thinking our our little shack there was burnt to the ground because we left it on left it on, but it wasn't. It was all good. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a trend because I think we did our, uh, I was doing some cooling tire condenser water lines and it was in the winter too when we did that. Yeah, so. no fun. No fun. Um, so as hope, you know, we've kind of gone over a lot of different weld processes, which a lot of times what people think about when it comes to the construction side. But there's a whole other side of that because somebody's got to be putting all those piping configurations together and layout and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So what are some other things we can maybe go over that uh, guys may run into um, if they're working on the construction side? Everything from everywhere from just being a journeyman or an apprentice on a, on a job site all the way up to maybe the superintendent just kind of roll through there what they might see. What they might see. Um, yeah. Or be prepared for it. Again, if, if, you know, if we got somebody listening that's wanting to get in or if we got uh, somebody that's um, say they're on doing carbon steel and they want to try to get in the powerhouse side or they want to see what's going on maybe on the other side of the trade for lack of better words. Yeah, I mean you got your commercial and you got your power plants, your industrial is what I like to call it. I mean your industrial um, side and and then you got uh, kind of like bear. You yeah, know, I consider that still industrial. Yeah, still it's a lot of stainless, a lot of, a lot of stainless, and and a lot of stuff out there that can kill you. It can, yes. If you're not paying attention. Yes, uh, and a lot of that stainless too you're doing, and it's got acid running through it. So yeah. you got to be careful, and you got to make sure you weld it correctly. So, um, what we do is dangerous uh, on an aspect. I, I won't forget the. Out at Sibley, we were there, and, and uh, the main drains off the economizer. We walked by those lines uh, probably thousands of times, and it, they asked us to replace them all, and we start cutting into it, demoing it out, and realized how thin that stuff was, and it was just a, a matter of time. Somebody walked by, and that line just blew, blew apart. Yeah. And so it's like, wow, we walked right by here, I don't know how many times, and this was paper thin. Yep. Uh, it's pretty scary so um, as far as getting in and, and welding wise I mean that is a small part of what we do uh, if you find your niche in it that's awesome keep that in your back pocket but don't be one-dimensional so learn how to lay out learn how to draw things learn how to uh, read prints because that is a big part of it. Um, and you don't see it much on the commercial side, but industrial side, you see a lot of code work, yeah. you know? So ask questions and get to know some of those codes. So, cause you do, we do a lot of work under B31.3 process piping, you know, and those, 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 once you install a system, you have to test it according to B31.3. So you have to read into that. And, yeah. and figure out how to test it correctly so well let's let's just kind of take it back so if if somebody's listening they're they're thinking about getting into pipe fitters and they're thinking maybe i'll go on the construction side um maybe they've talked to people on the construction side um let's say they're coming straight out of high school which we don't have as many as we used to it seemed like that was kind of the trend for a while but you know i think a lot of times guys think that um uh, it's a trade. You don't have to think too much about stuff. It's pretty easy. All you got to do is use your back. Um, maybe talk about some of the things that uh, 
guys are going to see going through the training center and uh, what they probably really need to be prepared for because I know math is, is one of those that guys right. think that, hey, I don't need to worry about math anymore. And, and there's a lot of math that we do in this trade. So much math. So many fractions. Everything's in fractions, right, or decimals. You know, learning how to make it in decimals. Or probably even converting on some of the stuff when we're getting European stuff sure. coming in and converting from metric to mm -hmm. yeah, understand all that. I, I got to be a part of that boomerang uh, roller coaster at Worlds of Fun, and it was all metric. So you had to learn how to convert that over. So um, a lot of math. I'd say a lot of it's math. And a lot of these contractors are getting away from all this uh, hands and ass I mean, there's times where you got to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, is there a smarter way to, to do this without getting hurt? So I like that aspect of it. Um, what kind of what kind of math um, are they looking at? Looking at algebra, geometry, all the above. Stuff that I didn't really care about in high school myself, and then luckily I can do it. Yeah. So um, first part of it's all algebra. And then once you get, I think it's your third year, you start your geometry or your tangent, cotangent, and and uh, volume and metric and and what have you there. But I, angles is where that really comes into play, uh, especially if you don't have a, if it's not a forty-five and you have to miter some type mm -hmm. of um, fitting to make this work. Um, that's where that comes into hand uh, into play, should I say? And got to know how to cut that fitting yeah you know? and, and i think it's one of the things that i learned because coming up in season one episode one uh working with jack hicklin he had all these templates from being in the fab shop um, and running a fab shop for so long and there was times where you're connecting two pieces of pipe together you can't get it done with a 90 and you can't get it done with a 45 so Pretty you good. have to make your own fitting and and make it work and uh i think that's that's where guys earn their, their keep when they can figure out how to do that. And, and like I said, uh, we can't always just, I, I've been on jobs where guys are pulling on stuff to try to get the fitting to make up. And then just hopefully you don't have to be the one to take it back apart. Cause it's probably never going to come apart. Oh so. yeah. I've been on that too. I remember putting things together and be like, man, I feel sorry for the guy who has to replace this. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, math comes into play, man. Um, who is it that con oh, can't think of that engineer company. The Black and Beach, a lot of their stuff, they, uh, if you've got a flange connection, if you remove those bolts, they don't want hardly any movement. And, and they were sticklers on that. So you gotta make sure you're putting in the pipe and the hangers in the right spots. Yeah, and then, then by, by doing those and, and putting the way they're designed to be in and not putting things under stress, they're not gonna fail, they're not gonna, um, you know, run a chance somebody getting hurt and stuff yeah. like that. So even with expansion joints too. Yeah. I mean, they wanted minimal movement. So, um, yeah, it's a pain. But as far as getting in wise, I would say it's a lot of it's do with math, 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 and then then you start learning the other things of how how do I prep this pipe correctly? How does why am I using this pipe for this? A lot system? of procedures, understanding procedures and following procedures. Mm -hmm. So. And you get into that, and then layout. What what can I? What is square in this whole place that I can actually measure from? Yep. And it's gotten a lot easier with lasers. It seems like lasers are everywhere now. Yeah. 
Uh, before, when I remember when I got in, you had to measure everything off the ground. You were lucky to have one laser on the job. Yeah. So now there's several lasers, so that helps. But you can still get off. If you don't find something square, you can still be off. Well, it kind of goes back to, uh, you know, I'll tell, you know, the guys on the service side I'm working with, we can use laser alignment and we can use all these different things, but it shit in, shit out. If you don't take accurate measurements and say, this is what it's going to be, um, your results are going to be way, way mm -hmm. off. So you have to still have to, even though you're using all this newer technology that we've got, you still got to be um, getting accurate as you can when it comes to taking those measurements and putting them in and whatever it's going to be, like so whether it's laser alignment or where you're doing a, a layout, uh, the machine's not just going to tell you what it is. If, no. if you're off, the whole thing's going to be off. The whole thing. The whole thing. Then the pipe may be right, and then whatever you're trying to connect to is off because you didn't. It wasn't laid out correctly. Yeah. So. And so one of the other things that guys might get into is is drawing or uh, drafting. What what kind of things they they run in into with that class? Um, I know they revamped it since I went through, and, and I, I know he touches a lot on on that right at the beginning of drawing and and what you see, where you got your plan views and and your side views and. Which is good knowledge because I don't know how many times we if we didn't have a piece of paper on the job and you ripped off a piece of cardboard and you draw out how you want to make this from A to B and then you start getting your measurements yep. and then you go and you fabricate it. So um, drafting was a good class I thought for myself because then I learned how to draw correctly. So and then I think part of that drafting class they do tubing as well. So. I think that's next semester actually for this year, but. Um. But also with that, you know, you got guys going out on, we got a lot of guys doing project work and a lot of time those guys are coming out and there is no drawings. Correct. And so they're gonna have to come up and say, hey, we're replacing this chiller. Um, the new chiller is this dimensions and we're off here. So, you know. Field design. You, so. you have to do some field drawings to make sure that, uh, see how things are gonna fit and if they will fit. Well, I've just, been on jobs before where, they said it would fit, but because we got to come through this door um, and based off our angles, it's not going to work. So. Right. Yeah, and there's been times where they just hand you a bunch of P&IDs. Yep. So it's like, oh, great. I know what's in the system, but um, I got to get from A to B here. So that drafting class comes into pretty pretty handy for that, okay. in my opinion. So. What about uh, computer drafting or computer-aided uh, modules and stuff like that? We're seeing a lot of that more. So... How much um, computer background does do some of these guys need to know coming into the trade? Um, if you're like me, you didn't have much. So um, I don't think you really have to have a whole lot because we're going to teach you. So I don't know a whole lot about it, but um, I, I wish I could have dabbled into that. Yeah. It, it, as far as the contractor I was working for, they didn't really touch on it until my last few years. So it was starting to come out and be more handy. Uh, especially with Navis and, and, and all that, but um, what we did a lot was field design or just flat out replacement yeah. of what was there. So I haven't really touched on that. But in the positions you've been in, and do you, would you say over the last 10 years anyway, we're seeing iPads, uh, tablets, oh, yeah. computers being used a lot more. So whether you're you're doing a design or you're doing time or you're doing... Um, reports, anything like that, uh, you're going to have to have some computer um, 
knowledge, for lack of better words. A little words. bit. I mean, there, I know at one time we talked, trained. we talked about doing a uh, computer class for journeymen because we had a lot of guys that, that were seeing those on, they first started coming up here 10, 15 years ago, and guys like, I, I never turned one of those things on. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of stuff we're doing on the service side, there's a lot of pieces of equipment anymore. If you don't have a laptop, you can't plug into it, and then... You have to download that, whether you save it as a CSV file or convert it into an Excel file or PDF or whatever. So, right. And, you know, when you start getting into, uh, you know, foreman superintendent and you got to go to meetings and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, Bluebeam was my friend. Keep track of that. So I love Bluebeam because um, you can mess with it, put scale on there, or put add to the drawing if you wanted to. Um, hell, even when we're estimating, I use Bluebeam for your feet of pipe taking off. So... Um, Bluebeam is a big, I think is a huge one for anybody, but you still have to learn how to use it. Yeah. But then there's classes for, that's what's pretty cool too. Even the MCA or, or um, is affiliated with, is it Johnson County Community College? Yep. And you can take classes pretty much for free. So if you wanted to learn more about Excel yep. or Bluebeam or Word, what have you, there's classes for that, and it's free. So, so it's a pretty diverse trade that uh, you can get into. And, and like I said, I, I've always been amazed. You go work on so much stuff for, say, five years or whatever it is, and you find, hey, there's this whole other avenue out here, stuff that we can work on. So if we haven't scared anybody off yet, and they're wanting to uh, make application, when can they do that, and what do they got to do to make application for the pipe fitters? Well, it's all year round, and it's on our website at pftc533.com, um, and it's all online. So, like when I went through, it wasn't online. So, now it's all online. It tells you step by step of how to apply, and contractors this year are taking them now. So, used to be, you know, what is it, April? Mm -hmm. You know, was the hot, heavy month, or the contractors were taking their apprentices for the upcoming year. Not this year. It seems like they're taking them now. So um, the website is where it's at for the train center. So you can get online, go there. Um, step by what, step. What, uh, if somebody, again, is wanting to get in, what what other words of wisdom you might have um, to make sure, say, they got a checklist of um, whether it's, maybe understanding math or some things that uh, you see guys struggle um, through your term as in teaching and then going into your first year here as a coordinator? Um, I would say math is probably the first because that's what you do right off the bat. Everything else is, is and they're going to teach you. Nobody wants to see anybody fail at all. So basic math, um, once you get through that, everything else is simple, it seems like. And then until you get to advanced math, obviously. But uh, as far as that, I mean, everything, pipe fitting skills is a good class. You, you, it's a lot better than when I went through. I mean, you touched a little bit of everything, copper, um, screwed pipe. I mean, testing, you got to test it. I mean, it, it's pretty neat. So that those are things, and you learn how to take off for, for measuring, for how to install this piece of pipe you're putting in, whether it's copper or or screwed pipe so that's pretty neat too because then you're learning not on the job not just on the job but in that class as well which comes in handy because you 
like again, you don't want to be a one-dimensional fitter. Yep. So, um, those two right there uh, is huge in that first year. It, so math for getting in wise, definitely. Okay. Definitely need to brush up on that map. What are some things they need to know about school? Because a lot of people may not realize we do have a night class or night program. They're going to work during the day. Um, maybe talk a little bit about what they're going to run into with uh, school. You're going to go to school two nights a week from right after uh, Labor Day weekend, September, and to the end of April. And you're going to go two nights a week um, for four hours every night or those nights that you have class. So... Luckily, we've been uh, going Monday through Thursday. I think if we have a big class come in next year, we may have to go to Fridays. And I remember going through my apprenticeship. I was Wednesday, Friday, almost my whole five years. Yeah, and you talked some of the old timers. There was classes on Saturdays. So, yeah, and I did have a class on Saturday for a semester. But um, for the most part, it, it's Monday through Thursday right now. We'll see about next year and um, for five years. And... So, the, the training center will select what classes those are, those guys will go, what nights they're going to go. Uh, and that's, I would say that's probably the biggest thing other that uh, guys need to be prepared for if they're going to get in is oh yeah is it, attendance is pretty much mandatory. It is mandatory, yeah. Nobody wants to miss anymore, especially with the new rules. Yep. So um, if you can be, it's, it's just like going to work. You know, show up on time, go to work every day. Well, come to school too. And, and that $500 at the end of your five years is, is a nice incentive too. I mean, I took advantage of it. Yep, I got so, it. So um, that helped pay for my journeyman's card. So, and then some. So, and you have a nice little turnout dinner. Yep. So. Now, one of the other things I know they'll have to do is a uh, OSHA 30 before they get in, and depending on when that takes place and when they get in, there may be an OSHA 10, but uh, everybody will go through uh, our pipe fitter safety, which is basically 40 hours of safety, which Pat and I do a great job, and uh, everybody just can't wait to get in that class. <laughs> but uh, that that's one of those things we do. This year we did it in June and August, uh, so that's just something else that they'll have to be prepared for. Uh, and again, I've had guys say, hey, can I come in next week or do a makeup? And we, we don't do makeups for those because, uh, like I said, I, I did two OSHA classes. That's pretty much all of June and August, as well as doing ITP that yeah. uh, two nights a week and a uh, Saturday were given up to, to do that. So we got to get those uh, be there when, when, when called upon. So True. That's true. All right. Ain't anything else as we uh, wrap up our... You want to be a pipe fitter? Um, without, I mean, it kind of goes without saying. I mean, it, it, it's not luxury by any means, but it seems like you always remember the good times. It goes up and down. I mean, there's there's times where you come to work and you have a shit day, and but you don't seem to remember those. You always seem to remember, man. I remember this job. We had a ton of fun. We had yep. tons of fun on that job. You seem to remember those more. But it is hot, it is cold, and spring and fall is kind of nice, but it seems like we don't have much of that anymore. So um, it's either or, hot or cold. But if you can withstand it, and you know a little bit of math, come on. 
All right. Well, hopefully we've answered some questions. If somebody's thinking about getting in the trade, like I said, it's been a great trade for both of us. And I'm sure if anybody's got any questions, they can certainly reach out uh, to some of you out here at the training center. Um, I'm going to do some interviews with Jimmy up at the uh, hall, who's the organizer. And uh, like I said, we'll probably do something similar for this on the service side. But for anybody uh, wanting to get in the construction side, hopefully uh, we've answered a few questions on that side. So with that, I will sign off for this episode of Twitter Talk. Mwah! Mwah! Love this guy!